Welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. It's Robotania, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. One of our special Hammer episodes today, so as usual for one of these, I'm joined by Stephen and by Mark. Good morning. Good morning. It's our first time together in the new year, although this episode at the rate I'm getting them edited and put out will not be out until about September, I reckon. Um, We're falling a bit behind in the release schedule, but... Not to worry, we are still enjoying the hammers, and I think we're right in saying, guys, this is the birth of what people would consider classic hammer, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, definitely. This is where they veer into gothic horror that they're known for. Everyone thinks of these. Uh, uh, well, you know, the, this type of film when they think hammer. Uh, though the ones we talked about before, certainly the Great Mass ones, help to fund and give them confidence to negotiate with Universal for various rights. Um, so I think the, the studio was built with Quatermass, but then um, um, sort of succeeded with this gothic stuff. Yeah. So, so we're right to include those, Stephen, aren't we? I'm, I'm assuming those first three that we've... Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think that previous to that, the Hammer studio was putting out um, some good stuff with regards to some comedies and some film noir and, and thrillers and stuff but ultimately they didn't start horror until you got to Quatermass and Mark's absolutely right about what footing that set them off on in order to launch into what is considered as you said the hammer horror um, in the classic sense of what gets repeated on late night television and people would see as just being part and parcel of, of British cinema really exactly. it's, it's this, yeah. this stuff okay well I want to go head first into this guys because we've got a lot to get through today we've got the Bob's Full House of Horror we've got the Village Hall of Fame we've got the Crypt of Fame um, and we want to talk about this movie it's Curse of Frankenstein 1957 we'll be back after this
Following on from the enormous success of the Quatermass experiment, Hammer were eager to follow up on the idea of pursuing this new direction that the studio was taking. The Curse of Frankenstein is in the record books as the first British horror movie to be filmed in colour, but initially it was conceived as a low-budget black-and-white movie, featuring none other than universal horror legend Boris Karloff, by now approaching his 70th birthday. These plans were soon scuppered, however, when Universal themselves, having been alerted to Hammer's intended production, brought up the suggestion of potential legal action if the movie contained any elements that were unique to their own productions. In particular, the superb monster makeup that was created by Jack Pierce that was in actual fact copyrighted. Milton Sabotsky and Max J. Rosenberg had already submitted the first draft of a script to producer Michael Carreras that would only have run to just under an hour. Carreras demanded a rewrite, suggesting changes but without adding any new sets or locations. Their next expanded effort was however rejected on the basis that it would be just too expensive to realise, and Sabotsky and Rosenberg were rewarded with a special payment for their efforts, plus a percentage of Elliot Hyman's share of the profits, Hyman being the financier who originally brought the script to Hammer's attention. Sabotsky would never forget his unaccredited contribution to Hammer's success, and together with Rosenberg later founded Amicus, Hammer's chief British competitors throughout the 60s and 70s. Anthony Hines and Jimmy Sangster then took over screenwriting duties, fully aware of the threat of legal action hanging over them. The novel was rewritten as a kind of gory drawing room comedy, and the script was submitted to Universal before any filming took place, just in case they took Hammer to court once filming had finished. Surprisingly, Universal refused to even read what had been written, stating that no script could actually foretell the contents of a movie. A lot of the success of the Quatermass experiment and X the Unknown had been attributed to the inclusion of an American actor in the lead role. Financier Elliot Hyman raised concerns that the film would suffer financially due to its overwhelming Britishness, not only in the cast, but also with the crew as Terence Fisher had now been brought on board to direct. Hammer were open to the idea of casting an American in the pivotal role of Frankenstein. But Peter Cushing, who had been so impressed by an early screening of X the Unknown, combined with his success as Winston Smith in the BBC's production of 1984 a couple of years earlier, had been cast by the October of 1956. As for the creature itself, well before Christopher Lee obtained the role, there was serious talk of future Carry On star Bernard Breslau taking the part. Hammer's intention was for the role to be played by a very tall man with some knowledge and experience of movement and mime. Terence Fisher explained that Lee fitted the bill perfectly, as the monster would be a reflection of his melancholy personality. The makeup design of the monster underwent several changes before a final design was achieved. Phil Leakey, obviously aware of the need to avoid any reference to the classic Karloff incarnation, eventually came up with the design much in the vein of the hybrid beast creatures of H.G. Wells's island of Dr. Moreau. There was a makeup design not too dissimilar to the prosthetics worn by John Hurt in The Elephant Man over 20 years later, and before the final design was agreed upon, there was even an almost werewolf-like interpretation. Eventually, Christopher Lee as the creature was unveiled to 200 horrified guests at a press conference in late November. A combination of Undertaker's wax, cotton wool and rubber that took nearly three hours to apply to the actor's face. 
Once filming had started, it soon fell behind schedule. So much so that many supporting characters were dropped entirely, even though most of their scenes had been filmed. These included Henry Kane as the schoolmaster, Marjorie Hume as mother, and Patrick Troughton as Kurt. Another scene also missing from the final theatrical version has since gone down in Hammer Horror history. Despite various shots of the head going into the acid were filmed, the gory close-up of the wax head was not included and has since been lost. The movie premiered at the Warner Theatre on Leicester Square on Thursday the 2nd of May 1957. Released at a time where moviegoers were sport for choice with endless science fiction creature features, it breathed new life into the ailing horror genre. The film was a huge artistic and commercial success. The critics, however, were horrified by the colourful blend of blood and sex. For sadists only, said the Daily Telegraph. Among the half-dozen most repulsive films I've encountered, claimed the Observer Tribune. After a record-breaking weekend at the Warner, the second week topped even that. In America alone, the film grossed over 70 times its production costs. The movie redefined the horror genre and cemented one of cinema's most famous and much-loved partnerships, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Hammer were on to a winner, and there was plenty more to come. More than a hundred years ago, in a mountain village in Switzerland, lived a man whose strange experiments with the dead have since become a legend. A legend that is still told with horror the world over. We've only just started, just opened the door. But now's the time to go through that door and find what lies beyond it. Why don't you see, Paul? We've discovered the source of life itself and we've used it to restore a creature that was dead. This is Frankenstein, who revolted against nature who experimented with the devil and was forever cursed. His unwilling collaborator was Paul Kremp. I can't prove you murdered, but I can stop you using his brain. Why, he has no further use for it? Don't be a fool! Be careful! Go damn it! Only two women ever entered this house of evil. Elizabeth, come back! Elizabeth, the lovely cousin who had promised to marry him, and Justine, the maid, who kept passionate and secret rendezvous with her master. Won't you understand you're in real danger? What Victor is doing is dangerous to everyone in the house. Now, you cannot possibly conceive what dreadful thing he's planning to do. What are you trying to tell me, Paul? That Victor's wicked? Insane? Wicked? Insane? Evil? Call Frankenstein what you will. A demon had made a man-made monster, and now... The monster was the master. Paul, what are you going to do? For your sake and to protect Elizabeth, I've so far kept silent. But now I shall go to the authorities and have them destroy that creature. And see that you pay for these atrocities. No! So that's The Curse of Frankenstein, released in the UK in 1957. 
Directed by Terence Fisher. Is this our first Terence Fisher? Yeah, I think the others. Uh, Val Guest was. Yes. Yeah. Was was the first uh, Quatermass. Mass. He. I can't. Who directed? Hold on. Who directed X Then the Unknown? No, it was Hi, That was Hines. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know what? I can't remember. Nor can I. It wasn't Terence Fisher. No. This, is the, this is the first of many Terence Fisher ones, but it is actually you know the first one. And, um, and Jimmy Sanders. Yeah, he then right. basically does. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. He really does. That's he's a it. real workhorse. And I think he's one of the corners of Hammer, right? There's, there's a certain thing with Hammer. That the music, Terence Fisher, Christopher Lee of Peter Cushing, mostly, but not always. And their kind of wonderful eye for set design. And the fact they've, they live uh, near a forest that they could use a lot. That, exactly. Those are kind of the hallmarks of Hammer, right? Exactly. And Fisher's really important. Fisher's made some fantastic films too. He's a name we're yeah. going to be hearing a lot, put it that way. And also the writer, Jimmy Sangster, in this case as well. Mm. And as you said, the cast includes Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Hazel Court, Robert Urquhart, Valerie Gaunt. The synopsis... Victor Frankenstein, played by Peter Cushing, is a brilliant scientist willing to stop at nothing in his quest to reanimate a deceased body. After alienating his longtime friend and partner, Paul Kremp, played by Robert Urquhart, with his extreme methods, Frankenstein assembles a hideous creature, Christopher Lee, out of dead body parts and succeeds in bringing it to life. But the monster is not as obedient or docile as Frankenstein expected, and it runs amok, resulting in murder and mayhem. Great synopsis there. Whoever wrote that, that wasn't mine, I promise you. Right. Curse of Frankenstein. How am I going to release the Frankenstein story based on sort of like the success of the, you know, the X, the Unknown and the Quake Mass and all that sort of stuff? Am I right in thinking, guys, that Universal got wind of this and slapped some sort of injunction or something saying, because it wasn't the intention that Boris Karloff was going to originally become, was going to be brought in to be like an aged version of the creature? That I don't know. I, right. I'd I'd heard I'd heard that and that basically that's why they've they've had to do the Frankenstein story without actually doing the Frankenstein story because they did a, a version of the script which was obviously the, the original version and they've had to basically go through it and edit out every little bit that <laughs> that resembles what was done um in the universal version. Yeah. Um, in order to try and and there is a claim, I believe, that they hadn't somebody hadn't um one of the editors of the script or one of the writers of the script hadn't seen anything to do with the the universal one and had just referenced the book as the original material and used that as an excuse. But no, certainly Universal did decide to play heavy and say, you know, you can't ha- you're not gonna do anything that resembles ours. That's basically um our copyright of putting the the book into film. Um, and Boris Karloff was lined up, and that was one of the things where they said, no, that's too close to, to what yeah. we've done, using the same actor. Well, mm. basically what happened, there was a TV script, Mark, written by, you know the name Milton Sabotsky. Yeah. Right, Milton Sabotsky and his writing partner wrote like a 50-minute TV script that was never produced. And with the success of Quatermass and all that lot, Hammer said, right, we're going we're gonna to sort of expand this horror genre you know we're having a bit of success here but it was going to be a black and white version of frankenstein and they were going to base the screenplay on the original screenplay that sabotsky had written a year or so before yeah what happened universal got wind of this because they'd heard that boris karloff was being brought in to play the monster 
And they, they got a lawsuit out saying that it shouldn't contain any elements, textual or otherwise, unique to their movies. Notably, Jack Pierce's distinct and copyrighted yeah, monster makeup. the makeup was yeah. definitely a no-no, yes. So, then what happened? Zabotsky had to expand the script and readapt it, and then that's why we get the story is told as a flashback from the prison, because that's a totally different sort of tack to, you know, how the Universal one is, you know, we get yeah. the story sort of... Pro- Actually, the Universal story one starts with Mary Shelley, doesn't it? Uh, no, by the Frankenstein has the Mary is it, Shelley. Is that the one? Uh, right. Frankenstein is yeah. just a... No bookends, but by the Frankenstein puts in that Mary Shelley bookending. That's yeah. right, yeah. I knew there was some sort of prologue to one of them. Yeah. So, yeah, we get this flashback, and it's, it's, the, it's the Baron Frankenstein story told from the cell where he's uh he's due to be executed yeah and interestingly they they all changed completely changed tack because universal had the monster as the through line right all, all the frankenstein family too but basically it's the monsters the through line mm. in the universal series hammer you know the monster was dissolved spoiler alert <laughs> um so that wasn't a thing was it um and and in fact it's constructed like you oh this there's not going to be a sequel isn't it this movie uh for sure so um how, they how went along they a different line entirely mm, yeah how wrong they were because it, it proved so successful <laughs> uh, yeah you can't keep a good mad scientist down exactly we do love a mad scientist this is our first real mad scientist as well when we get to the mm. hammer um the bingo cards later guys it, with the, there is a mad scientist somewhere there i remember just with your own personal history of it i know we sort of said this is the first of the classic what people perceive as a hammer horror how often do you guys go back to it because i'm assuming this isn't the first time watch for the bear of you no, I've seen this uh, multiple times. Must be, I'd say, seven or eight times, maybe. And in fact, it's, it's interesting because there's still one Hammer Frankenstein I have, haven't actually watched, ever seen yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, this one, I've probably seen the most number of times. But Revenge and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed are the other two I've seen an awful lot of. It's the one uh, you but haven't I think seen, this one's the most. Right, the one, one you haven't seen, is that the one with Dave Prowse? Was the monster. No, it's the one uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. I think Dave Prowse mm. is in that, but there's two is in. Ah, there's two right. is in. Okay. Uh, but Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which is the last Hammer Frankenstein film I have just haven't seen. Oh. Uh, yeah, Stephen, how often have you seen this, mate? Oh, it's several times as well. Yeah. Um, I can't. It's just kind of part of the fabric of of having watched, um, particularly late night television through the eighties and nineties, really. So. Um, me and you have often discussed how you know you switch the t- television on having come home from the pub and on BBC two starting at midnight there was something like this on wouldn't be able to even predict how, how many times I'd watched it I mean and that's I think this is the first time maybe ever but um, that I've actually specifically sat down with the intention of watching it rather than it just seeing it's going to be on and putting it on um, but it's that doesn't take away from from the joy of watching it you know it's something that i've always gone oh great that it's going to be on but i can't re- i can't remember when the first time i watched it was it must no. have been sometime in 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 the late 80s i would say it's just been around since then hasn't that's it? it that's the same with me i mean when i went to log it on letterbox last night after i watched it i surprised myself because i'd only watched it three years ago and i've got no memory of that viewing of it but it was the first time i'd bought a magnificent blu-ray copy of it it's the first time i watched it on blu-ray nice big screen tv and 
pretty much like you, Stephen. It may be the first time I've probably sat down deliberately to watch it. You know, I was sitting there with a nice drink and a few snacks. And I thought, bright movie night, Friday night, lovely. And it was a really great experience to watch it in like a restored version on a bigger screen. Uh, it was it was just fantastic. I mean, for me, it is a classic Hammer. It's it's the birth of the Hammer horrors, as we've said before. And you can see the blueprint. All the elements are there. With the like we said, um, and Mark mentioned, like the the score, the settings, the scenery, they're going to become quite familiar to us as the series progresses because we're going to go hang on a minute that house was in that movie or that clearing in the woods we've seen that a thousand times before and and that's part of the fun of the hammers knowing that they are this almost quaint sort of british institution that's made you know deep in the british countryside and it's not some big glitzy hollywood studio production um, yeah, that's part of the appeal, isn't it, guys? I think that's why we like them. Apart from you know the entertainment we get from the stories themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's all of that. Uh, also, uh, the the st- the stars, you know, Christian and Lee. Yeah. Universal was built on not Universal, but thirties horror generally was built on uh, Lugosi and uh, Karloff. Uh, whereas this one was built on Lee and Cushing. Really, really, when it comes down to it, some people would argue Michael Ripper, mate. <laughs> well there's very you know there's there's all sorts but basically it's peter cushing and christopher lee bring bring that charisma that They're carloff the and the ghosty yeah. and a few other you know even lon Chaney jr not yeah. a great actor but he had charisma right yeah. so um there was that but whereas uh this generation it's definitely lee and cushing Absolutely. and you know they kept being a presence Right up until quite recently, but well, Lee yeah. certainly. Yeah, they are the two names you think of. Says Hammer, yeah. And for the likes of us, who have a, a, you know a bit more of a, an interest in these things, knowing how those two people interacted on a personal level outside of the actual filming, how they they basically became best friends. That affection that they had um, for each other throughout their entire lives until the, the sad loss of. Peter Cushing that adds a value to seeing him on screen and thinking there's two fellas enjoy you know although I think some of the um some of the levels of safety on the set and and um injuries and stuff that sometimes happens particularly to Christopher Lee um were not always a joy but they certainly enjoyed being in each other's company and and doing these films and I think that's maybe why they they kept coming back to do them again and again and again when those um their careers perhaps could have taken them away from from Hammer. They re- retained a, an affection for they what were lifelong Hammer friends, weren't they? Them. Yeah, they were friends yeah. right through to the to you know Peter Cushing's death, weren't they? You know, there's all these through through Looney Tunes um, uh, is is the the thing that apparently initially they um they they bonded over the fact that they enjoyed the the Looney Tunes camp. Amazing, so, that is although, a great story. Yeah. Although, although there is a story that the first the first way that they actually uh, came simpatico with was uh, Christopher Lee um, saying in the dressing room to Peter Cushing about on this film saying saying oh I've got no lines and Peter Cushing saying no oh, you're lucky I've read the script. <laughs> 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 oh, great endorsement of Jimmy Sangster's right from the start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, one of the names that we don't really associate with Hammer is Melvin Hayes. Uh, 
Yes. No, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> um, talk, ain't half just, horror, mum. Yeah, just talk as... Did you say ain't half horror, mum, then? Yeah, he did. Because <laughs> I'm that bad, yeah. He's been up all night writing this, guys. Um, <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> talk us through the Melvin Hayes appearance. Oh, bless him. What can, what can you yeah. say? It, it, well, he appears as a young uh, <laughs> young Peter Cushy, right? <laughs> yeah. With, uh, with a dodgy wig. Uh, uh, well, maybe it's not is a wig, wig in this case. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it is. Uh, it might be just styled that way. Uh, and he's like a full fright. It's not bad. No. It's not bad, actually. That's what I was it's gonna not say. bad. Mm. It kind of works. It definitely works. Unfortunately, he's coloured by our knowledge of him in much later roles. And indeed, in like musicals like Summer Holiday. Of, is it, was he in Summer Holiday? Well, he was in Summer Holiday. Yeah. Like that, Funny enough, um, I watched um, The Young Ones over Christmas, which is four years after this, and he's got like peroxide blonde hair in that. Yeah, that's right, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I thought he did a quite good turn, considering he's supposed to be quite young, isn't he? The Baron? Yeah. 14, 15, something like that. Um, and uh, I think he's quite self-assured and... And and uh, they actually made up the um, Paul, you know, the actor playing Paul, um, yeah, quite well to make him look younger. In fact, it, uh, and I, I thought it was reasonable, um, considering the quality of transfers these days. You can usually see when it looks rough. To me, I, I wasn't watching on a Blu-ray, but I was watching on I think HD Amazon yeah. streaming, and it, I couldn't see. Oh yeah, there's the makeup. There's the stuck on. So you know you can often see that sort of thing in with the big. It's the curse of big TVs, right? Yeah, you can often see it. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't see it, and so I thought it was quite a good turn actually, this given the, it was Melvin Hayes. Yeah. Well, this is the thing because the movie takes place over quite an extended period of time. So you know we've got two characters playing the Baron, but Robert Urquhart stays through the whole thing, and as you say. He, he's playing someone in his 20s and then towards the end we're assuming he's what 40s or 50s 40s or 40s yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and as you say it's not jarring at all to see that progression yeah I think they put him in a massive corset in those first few years or something like that because he looked <laughs> slimmer he looked younger you know something was going on but this is the thing I mean with this being the first colour horror film and I might be wrong I think it is the first British colour horror film of all time, this is the first horror film to be made in colour in the UK. I think, I, I think uh, it I depends if is... you include the Fifa Baghdad, which isn't really a horror fantasy. Is it, that one, really, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, I is... think I read that this is the first Frankenstein in colour, right? That might be what I found then as well. But I know there was some sort of landmark with it being in colour. The makeup has got to be spot on, and as much as we admire Cushing and Lee and Urquhart in this movie. The star of this movie for me is is the monster's makeup itself, and and as you said, like the you know the Robert Urquhart's as well, you know, showing the progression of time. I know we're sort of leaping forward here a bit, but when you get the big reveal of the monster itself, can you imagine the audience's reaction to that? Because obviously, the audiences must have been used to their, you know, their impression of Frankenstein was Boris Karloff. They got no other touchstone. And and to see this like mummified creature just rip off the bandages and and what you see underneath it is it, it is recognisably Christopher Lee but at the same time the makeup doesn't just extend to prosthetics and you know makeup type paint type makeup you know we've got contact lenses in eyes and and things like that and it's a really fantastic piece of work 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. that adds to it, right? This must have made them poop their pants when they mm. first saw it. They probably never seen anything like this. Yeah. Instead, the, the the element of visual horror previously with the um, the universes and stuff, maybe it wasn't didn't have the same level of, of gore to it, which with this you get the, you know, you've got the stitching not just, you know, around a neck where mm. a head's been put on. This is obviously a... a a head that's been pieced together a bit more um, across yeah. the face and things. You've got the, you've actually got the, you know, the blood that you see, which wasn't so present um, in the universal in that that way. That has put it more visceral into the the eyes of the the audience. I mean, okay, the blood actually got into the eyes of Christopher Lee as well in filming, but it puts it more there as being something that people are looking at their own bodies and thinking about it um, in that, those terms rather than on the screen previously with universal ones when there was a little bit of detachment and, and less realism to it. Um, and that will have hit people as something completely out of out of their experience, like you've said. Yeah, I think there's been several phases in in the history of cinema where there's like certain, a jumping transgression, and you know we see much more interesting things. And I think that there was one in fifty, I'd say about fifty seven, probably led by this this mm. film because it was kind of just not like anything else before it. You go back, I mean, earlier ones are like stuff like um, the th- uh, very early 30s, pre-code 30s. There's stuff like Island of Lost Souls, where there's intimations of horrible surgery, and the Black Cat with Karloff and yeah. Lugosi, yeah. where they talk about skinning people, and <laughs> people, someone gets skinned off camera, but even so, that's pretty grim, right? And freaks, and so on. Yeah, and then course. there was this one, and then early 60s there was kind of the same thing but that was more that wasn't just horror that was like yeah yeah james bonds you know much more actiony kind of realism yeah. and then early 70s was had, had this whole transgressive horror and 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 draw you know orange the devils mm-hmm. uh things like that and uh, but i think that there was a, definitely a mini one in 57 somewhat led by curse of frankenstein yes. uh, 57 onwards for a, a, a year or two and then we had this actual one that i mentioned which was sort of 62 and so on coupled with like things like kitchen chick dramas you know there was like a realism in that too i'm not saying james bond is realistic i'm saying it's you know it made it kinetic <laughs> north by northwest was like a precursor to that whole thing yeah. uh, in my opinion but um yeah so i think this film is important from that aspect too you can just see yeah, the progression of the makeup can't you it's as, as steven said the stitching and things is not you know, he hasn't got bolts for his neck and all this. Like, and and you see him assembling body parts, and and as the creature gets damaged, you know, and, and the hair is shaved, and there's fresh stitching on the head underneath where the shaved hair was, and and that realism, Stephen, that you said that we get this impression that it is an amalgamation of actual body parts. We see it, you know, when he goes and gets the eyeballs from the mortuary, or yeah, and the dog, the dog in the tank, the dog, uh, the dog like in the that. tank was brilliant. That was yeah, an excellent scene. Well, that's not that's never coming back to life, but it did, didn't it? They just made it look really like it was a dead dog, uh, <laughs> and, and it worked. And, and I it's think a wet, wet, de- wet dead, a wet dog dead as well. dog. Was yeah. Even worse, yeah. Oh, poor little puppy. The thing I thought as well, as much as the character of Victor Frankenstein in in the Karloff version, 
you know, he's a he's a bit sort of megalomaniacal. You know, he's 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 a bit you know obsessed or whatever with what he's trying to do. We get a real impression with this that. Peter Cushing, you know, dear sweet Peter Cushing, he's going to take this to the next level. You know, he's willing to push people off of balconies to get what he wants. Oh, yeah. He's a proper psycho. He's not as psychopathic as some character. Well, he's got a few human qualities, but mostly bad. You know, he likes a bit on the side yeah. uh, <laughs> with, the, with the maid. Uh, and uh, and he get, he tries to get... And he's, the only thing he's passionate about is what he's doing, you know, building, bringing, reanimating dead people that's yeah. all he cares about anything else is just superficial for show you know um so he, he's our almost like the first screen mad scientist in many i mean i know we had them in like the earlier frankenstein and quite mass was kind of a driven but this one is next level uh McLemon- Niacle. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling really, with that word. Oh, I, I did earlier. It's easy for you to say. But, uh, <laughs> let's, let's probably no, you're absolutely to, right. Yeah, is, you know, the, the level of, of obsession that initially starts with perhaps some element of, of good intention to be, you know, uh, being able to use uh, life-giving or life-reviving and, and that kind of thing is, is certainly that's where Robert Urquhart's Paul character is, is joining in at the very beginning of it. But yeah, the descent into into madness, where it is just that god complex that they can you know can create life, even if he has to destroy life to do so, is absolutely the theme of the entire thing. But he plays it so great, you know, you can absolutely see he's unhinged <laughs> with it all. And um, that nice, sweet Peter Cushing fella. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he he's a great. I mean, he's a great actor, and he, he yeah. does a turn here, right? Um, I have to just mention there is a quite a mass link to Peter Cushing in that uh, Nigel Neal wrote the um, TV version of 1984, uh, yeah. and Peter Cushing was Winston Smith in that. So I think both of them became famous because of that. You know, Peter Cushing's style was on the ascent because of his great turn as Winston Smith, and yeah. Nigel Neal you know, delivered something the BBC were very proud of. That's well. it. Cushing was probably better known as a TV actor at this point, or certainly more recognisable as a TV actor than a movie actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Though and, he did appear in a Lauren Hardy film, didn't he? he in the did. 40s. Yeah, it was a, a schoolboy, wasn't he, or something? Ch- Chump at Oxford. That was it. Was yeah. Well, like he appeared in, appeared in two films that Christopher Lee had also appeared in but they'd not had any scenes together or anything I think there was I think there was a version of Moulin uh, some, something to do with the Moulin Rouge I think mm. um, they were both in, in that and there was something else they were both in I can't remember now um, they were both in it as oh ha- Hamlet um, oh. there was a version of Hamlet where they were both had very you know Cushing particularly had a very minor part as basically a some soldier in the ranks or something over and, and Lee had a, a, a minor role um, but no scenes together. This is absolutely the first time these two greats are on the scene to on the scenes together, and the chemistry just works. Um, Wouldn't it have been awesome if they'd have been Rosencrantz and Guildenstern or something like that? Been brilliant that would have been amazing. Prepared. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> obviously that was the Olivier version. I'm assuming. Yeah, that would have been like late forties, I think, wasn't it? So they 
that they've got a bit of history before this. I read somewhere that Cushing was deliberately selected by Hammer because he was on the crest of a wave, as you said, Mark, because of 1984. Christopher Lee's casting for the movie was largely because of his height. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it isn't given much to do. And, you know, you can see it's Christopher Lee, but acting-wise, there's not much. Not there. Yeah, I mean, there's, the mo- <laughs> it's interesting how the monster isn't at all sympathetic in the way that frankly i thought they'd go with that uh, you know if they're looking at the universal things but not really he's just a this, wretch really yeah. isn't he he only got the role by from the first choice um due to um, a matter of i think it was two, two pounds a day oh oh, oh wow because i heard i heard the original choice was bernard breslau yeah and and christopher lee was two pounds cheaper per day is that what it was because um, i heard so, so <laughs> but then he was two in two inches shorter so um, maybe that's what you were paying for with those extra two well, pounds. I think Breslau would have inches. been all right as well. Yeah. I, think. I mean, I'd, I'd pay. You know, <laughs> uh, but I think well, they I think they swayed away from Bernard Breslau because they're thinking right, the more taller and imposing this creature is, um, it's going to be more like the Karloff creature, which we can't use. So if we yeah. use Lee and make it more human you know we make it look like it is actually assembled from because bernard breslau was a hulking great guy he played ice warriors didn't he in the original doctor who mark mm. do you remember that he yeah was he was yeah. yeah yeah he was uh he was uh yeah he was in all sorts of things yeah. and he's played like uh you know later on things like the cyclops is it in in halt slayer or something he like was that. something some giant wasn't he or something yeah yeah, yeah yeah remember that yeah that was um late 70s early 80s yeah 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 um, I wonder at what point. Wonder at what point. What year? Following this, at what point? Um, Christopher Lee stopped being cheaper than Bernard <laughs> Breslau. Um, Probably the next film, I would imagine. I thought so. Yeah. Because at a certain point, you know, I imagine what you know. Imagine if if that had continued though, that um, it had been Bernard Breslau and Bernard Breslau had then been. Dracula and gone on to, <laughs> gone on, gone on to do uh, the Wicker Man, the Wicker Man, and uh, carry on screaming, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, imagine that you know the two careers is flipped over, and uh, you you had in all the carry ons, you had uh, Christopher oh. Lee instead. Yeah. Well, they in that case, Hammer kind of lucked in, right? Because then they could say in their next marketing campaign, you know, a star of Frankenstein in Dracula, mm-hmm. and like Christopher Lee, you know, he's Dracula, right? Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and yeah. then the Mummy, he was brilliant in too. So they really lucked in, and considering that he wasn't given much to do, and it was more Cushing's vehicle. Uh, this movie than than certainly the monsters definitely um, so yeah, yeah because if you remember back in the Karloff version you know we get the scene where the monster escapes and we get that whole thing with the child at the at the lake and the blind man in the house and all this like we get a a brief sort of like almost tantalizing glimpse that that's going to go down the road of of the same you know the same story of the Karloff version mm. and we meet the blind man but it doesn't lead anywhere to the extent that the Karloff version does no he just kills him just kills uh, him. interesting yeah. that because i felt that the blind man would have been something universal would have been all over now i know that in the original book there's a blind man you know mm. there's a bit where the monsters living in one side of a cottage while a family's in the other side and there's a blind guy in their family but but that isn't the same as just encountering someone on the road. No. And the child thing too. Mind you, again, in the book, the, the monster kills a child, doesn't yeah, it? So, exactly. uh, But deliberately, because the child is a 
member of Frankenstein's family. Yeah, that was kind of much closer to the Universal than I would expect. And wasn't a needed scene particularly, was no, it? I mean, it didn't no. really. It was fine, but it didn't. It, you could take it out and it wouldn't matter to the story at all, yeah. I don't think. And another thing I noticed as well, I mean, we haven't really spoken about cinematography and stuff like this. It's quite studio bound, um, this production. And if you remember the Universal one, how grand and great that set was with that magnificent design of, you know, the table where he's created and it gets lifted up into the ceiling and goes out onto the roof and all the, you know, the lightning and all that lot. This Mm. was very subdued, wasn't it, for like a, a, a mad scientist lab when you could try and compare the two? Yeah, they just made it grim, didn't they? You know, with eyeballs and dead, and dogs and <laughs> things. Yeah, they, they kind of made it more, look much more like a functioning lab. But uh, yeah, they, they didn't really get. Into, I mean, it's interesting. They also took from the Universal thing the fact they st- he, he stitched it together from bodies, whereas in the book that's not there at all. Uh, in the book, it's kind of suggested it's a chemical process, not a bodily you know bodily putting things back together from the corpses thing yeah. um but again they got they got that but i think they they had they did negotiate with universal to get some things um and that was probably the elements they got hold of but the makeup was a big no-no as you mentioned yeah. um okay chaps i think it's time to lighten this up a little bit <laughs> bob's full house of horror grab, uh, your, bingo. Blimey. <laughs> grab your bingo cards here we go <laughs> Okay, it's Bob's Full House of Horror. For those that don't know, it's Hammer Bingo time. Um, <laughs> rapidly becoming my favourite part of the, the Hammer Reviews, this, because we're having a bit of fun. And I think as now we're getting into what we're considering classic Hammer, a lot of these tropes are going to really be kicking in there, guys, don't you? I think there's some real classic elements of Hammer on these cards. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's, let's see exactly how this goes. As it stands at the moment, the scores after... I believe it's three rounds, is that Mark is on eight points and Stephen and I are on 11. So, Mark, your card better prove lucky for you. Uh, I've got some arguing to do here. All right, well, you're on card number one this week, mate. We'll be the judge of it. So let's let's have a look. Your first one, by my reckon, is Pitchfork Villager. Villager. Unfortunately, this film had Pitchfork Villagers absent. Uh, which is always a shame in a Frankenstein (laughs) film Uh, but yeah I mean at the end Paul says I'm going to go to the village just runs off right Uh, (laughs) let you down come on turn up with a village nah nah, it doesn't happen no no one's seen anything and you know no one knows anything so for goodness sake so no no I I think you're going to be robbed with the next one as well which is Michael Ripper no, I could rip her in every, this one either. Every other uh, I'm movie. sure he was around in the set, you 
<laughs> Every other movie, but you've been let down by him. Uh, okay, so my, the next one's Mad Scientist. I've definitely got that. I think we'll give you a point for that, mate. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. Pretty, that's pretty right. Uh, the next one, Spooky Glow. I have to say, apart from a bit of haze in the lab, I didn't particularly see any spooky. No, haze. no, I don't think. Um... <sighs> okay. <laughs> so what am I, one for four now? Well, at the okay. moment, one out of four, mate, yeah. So blood red eyes. Um, we had a bit of eye transformation. Blood in his eyes. Yeah. yeah, he had blood in his eyes, so Blood's I'll give you that one. Gore. Yeah. That, that's a thing we haven't talked about. That's a thing in His eye changed colour as well, didn't it? After yeah, it was whitish and then it was darkish. Oh, it's not blood red, oh, blood red eyes. I think we can. that's more to do with werewolves and things, isn't it? Is that what we're mm. heading towards yeah, with but, that? I mean, do and we, vampires. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the vampire when he when he's oh, um, yeah. when he's eaten, his his eyes go red. I think that was. Now I'm rolling my sleeves up because I'm going to argue the next one. Okay, all right. Well, all right, which then. is we'll, good we'll... blonde bad brunette. Okay, there wasn't a blonde. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bad brunette. Justine was naughty, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, and uh, oh, but blimey, the the Baron was worse. I have to say. Uh, <laughs> but the good blonde. Okay, Hazelcourt wasn't a blonde. She was a redhead. But, you know, it could be a very, very, very strawberry blonde. I think we can I would, I would, I would agree with you there, Matt. <laughs> I, would, I would say you, you, that, that there was definitely an intention to have a contrast between their their, their appearances, that one was, was, you know, almost the black hat, white hat syndrome, where she was uh, in the colourful dresses, was Hazel Court, and then, mm. um, obviously, you, you've, Got the contrast in the maid wearing wearing black and doing the dirty things down the the, the corridors yeah. and and sorting yeah, out the barracks. So, yeah, yeah, um, and and allegedly doing things in the village with any uh, alchemers. Well, that's so, what um, the baron said anyway. Yeah, um, so um, yeah. so I'd agree with you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is that a pass? Is uh, that, I've yeah. marked you down for a point, my friend. Oh yeah. god, yeah. two two months. <laughs> and I, again. Another hammer trope, the hammer lovelies, right? Exactly. Um, so that this is the start. That Hazel Court's a looker, and Valerie Gorm as yep. Justine. It's, she is really something in horror, Dracula. But we'll get to that when yes. we talk about that. Yeah, hammer glamour. Yeah. Right, himbo. Right. We're ready for this. Go on. Uh, argue this one. Piece is fifteen and <laughs> quite slight. He's an alpha. He's an alpha male, right? <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, he's self-assured. He gives his aunt money. I ask very, you know, he, yeah. he's an alpha male. So, all right, I'm pushing this. Well, no, I'd, I'd say it. Robert Urquhart yeah. would I mean, probably fall in there as well. Himbos are usually good-looking but stupid, aren't they? <laughs> so, and he, he, yeah, oh, you you're accusing him of being stupid. I think. No, I'm accusing him of being. A, yeah, I've got no, a point, right. but I don't think you do. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say Robert Urquhart would probably fall it, but he's, he's far too intelligent to be there's, a himbo. There, no, there is, yeah. all right, okay, the there's thing. no himbos here. Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to pivot this into an argument about alpha males rather than himbos, but it's not actually. Barbara Shelley, nah. Well, if you half close your eyes and look the other way, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> clutching at straws here, mate. Go on. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Hazel Cole. Nah, it's all right. Forget it. Uh, well. <laughs> We'll give you the so, two points there, mate. For got that. two. Oh, God, it's that it's the luck of the draw with the cards. You know, we're taking yeah. turns to shuffle the he's cards. He's been unlucky around before, and he's been lucky again. Yeah. Cursed. Okay. Cursed of Frankenstein. The, the, the curse yeah. of, of Bob's Full House of Bingo, mate. Um, yeah. yeah. I do feel cursed doing this, yeah. 
Okay, I'll go next with card number two, Stephen, if that's okay, mate. By my yeah. reckoning, let's have a look. Spooky Coachman. No, there wasn't any. Should have been every yeah. other Frankenstein movie. There's a spooky coachman, but uh, not in yeah. this one. Ads like killer movies often. Yeah, uh, but yeah. you know, um, I've got Barbara Shelley as well. So if she wasn't there for you, mate, she's certainly not there for me. Mystery monster. Is it mystery monster next? I think there's a mystery element. Yeah, because, this is definitely um, a mystery monster. He doesn't have a face until he pulls off his watch. Yes, yeah, I'm definitely having the point for that. That yeah. sort of reveal is a mystery monster. Yeah, and Paul, you know, Paul doesn't know what's going on until it gets revealed, and the 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 blind man. It's a mystery to him. The, uh, the whole plot. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yeah, give you give you that one. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, bat on a string. Well, there's a dog in a tank. But not a <laughs> Nothing like it. Okay. Uh, James Bernard score? Yes. There we go. Himbo, we've already argued that, so I'm definitely not going to take a point for that one, mate. Inventive crucifix. There's no no um, nah. evidence of anything in that regard. Transformed terror. Oh, I don't know. Trans- I'm going to leave that for you two to decide. Transform terror. What could that mean? I'm not even sure what that means. That means like werewolves and, and bat, bat oh, people turning so. to bats. Yeah, rather than there was none of that. <laughs> okay. uh, and I think we, uh, I think we did give that to to one of us. Got points for that previously um, under Quatermass because there was some kind of transformation there. But oh well, that uh, made oh, sense. Oh, the first yeah. one, yeah. But this was, this yeah. time round. Sorry, you'll be pleased to know, Mark, there was only two points for me as well. Uh, at least you ain't pulling ahead. That's it. So you, we, I've stalled there. Okay. Card number three, Stephen. Let's have a little look. What have you got as your first one, mate? Plunging cleavage. I think you've got two um, sets there, haven't you? Which, which, which you know, there was, there was, there was a pair. Um, <laughs> A pair, a pair of cleavages. Um, and I think there were, no, hold on. No, no, there wasn't that. They were very prim. There was no cleavage <laughs> at all. I don't know. Really? Not having here's, that. Here's <laughs> was showing cleavage off on some oh, of those dresses. Oh, was she? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, no, you're right. She was on one of them. Yes. Yeah, That's nothing. why Paul kept sniffing about, isn't it? Right, I suppose. <laughs> well, you think so, yeah. He, yeah. Well, I hated that character. But... <laughs> <laughs> But it's okay because he hated this movie and never, you know, walked, oh, out, <laughs> walked out of the screening and uh, never did another hammer. So, oh, I, um, I would be quite proud to have been in it, yeah. but his character was like, uh, he's done all this stuff, then he's uh, trying to act. I might now he's trying to nick the nick the nick the uh, prospective fiance. What's going on here? Sort of <laughs> but the Baron didn't really care, so it was fine. Yeah, that's it. He was he was trying to nick the 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 fiance, the wife, and he he was the real monster. Yeah, yeah. Right. who's the real monster in a Frankenstein film? It was, it was Paul. Yeah. <laughs> as, um, as Bruce so Forsyth next... used to say, guys, you don't get nothing for a pair, not in this game. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh, he's, he's definitely saved that up. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm going to so use it every there week. Was, there was some cleavage there, so we'll uh, hopefully. Yeah, okay. I'll give you the point. Um, give... Next one, unfortunately, no, it's deformed assistant. No um, Igor, no, no Igor. There was, a de- was deleted yeah. scenes um, which had uh, Patrick Troughton um, as, a, as the assistant, uh, apparently, of some description, but that was they were deleted, oh, so I've not got anything brilliant. for that. Um, and yet again, nothing for the next one, which is Michael Ripper. No, unfortunately. Um, uh, sadly not. Thunder and Lightning, though, I know there, there was definitely a scene yeah. where um, Peter Cushing was anticipating the lightning um, outside um, that was going off, and he was looking at his his pocket watch when it, it did so, trying to time 
how close it was getting. Um, it was curious how they didn't do anything with that visually, yeah. isn't it? It, it? I guess they didn't want to look like the, the Universals again or something. Exactly. I don't know. That would be my guess, yeah. yeah. Or it's, maybe it's hard to do the effect. I don't know. Uh, well, yes, yeah, so, so I've got lightning on that yep. one, so that was all yeah. right. Uh, yeah. The next one, though, no good uh, um, with Spooky Glow, um, yeah. as with, with Mark when he unfortunately had that one. Okay. Um, uh, good blonde, Brad Brunette. Uh, we've got the the previous discussion about that to my advantage I think thankfully. it's only fair that you take uh, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no no no, no. <laughs> no go on. it's only only when you argue it right that's fine then. let's go back to who the real monster is it's you um, so um, mystery monster yeah um, we've yeah. argued that one and uh, the final one is James Bernard score I yeah. don't like how this oh, is going no, right. he's streaking ahead yeah that's a that's a five pointer there guys Oh God! Which, um, Look at the draw. Yeah. Which, by brief calculation, puts Stephen in front on sixteen points. Uh, I'm on thirteen, and Mark is on ten. And, uh... Right. So we'll we'll flip the cards around for the next episode, and just hope that it falls in our favour. I thought we had Kensington Gore on one of the cards, but is that one of the newer cards you've made up, Stephen? And that's one of the, the, the newer ones, you know, we were... Um, oh yeah, there's going to be we'll loads go. of Kensington Gore coming. This is the first um, obvious yeah. real example of it being in colour, isn't it? And it was great yes. because it was, you know, can you imagine, like we said, the audiences of 1957 seeing that for the first time. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, it must have blown their minds. It's yeah. like... You can imagine some films that just... I think James... The first, Doctor No probably blew people's minds. I think, you know, Psycho blew people's minds. Yeah. I think this blew people's minds. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's of that tradition. Well, while we're in the mood for regular features, uh, our custodian of the Village Hall of Fame has been collating all his evidence and his information for us. Let's take a walk up the garden path and see who's been inducted, if anybody... In the Village Hall of Fame. Okay, Stephen, Village Hall of Fame, sir, you've been beavering away at the facts and the figures and the stats? I have, yeah, you're very own stato. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, we we've ha- have um, one person making their second appearance, which um, is Philip Jones, who was previously in Quatermass of all films. Yeah. Um, so that plays into the, um, the the alternative version of this feature, which is the, um, the Hammer Crypt of him. But as far as people making their debuts actually in the Village Hall of Fame with three appearances, Robert Urquhart, who we previously mentioned never did another horror, mm. um, he was previously in uh, Dunkirk and Restless Natives. Um, Restless Natives, which, that was it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, fella, yeah. Fred Johnson, he's making his third appearance, was in Scrooge and in Quatermass. Joseph Behrman, uh, was in uh, Icarus File and Man of the Moment. Right, okay. Um, Bartlett Mullins. <laughs> You're making this up, yeah, go on. That's a great name, <laughs> Bartlett Mullins. Bloody he was hell. in Quatermass and Sapphire. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, yeah. 
And Bill Rooney was in Night to Remember and Heavens Above, because we have to have somebody who was in Night to Remember in every, every uh, list. Yeah, yeah. Cool. There were actually two people who were making their fourth appearances, which is Jimmy Miller, who was in Night to Remember, Carry On Sergeant and Private's Progress, yep. and Raymond Rollett, who was in uh, One Good Turn, Gideon's Day and Last Holiday. Good. I mean, there were, there's a couple of people making their fifth appearance as well, yeah. uh, which includes... Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Of course. Wow. Um, don't need to list all the films that they've been in. Yep. Um, there's also Lindsay Hooper, um, who was in Heavens Above, uh, Night to Remember, Violent Playground, and Quatermass. And James Ewer, who was in Trouble in Store, Private Progress, Night to Remember, The Rebel, and From Wish We Love. Um, so, not. Oh, there's uh, there's two people making the six appearance. Um, <laughs> wow! Uh, Jack Heverington uh, from Wish You Would Love, uh, Carry On Constable, Carry On Teacher, Night to Remember, Scott of the Antarctic, and Paddy Smith, who was in Doctor in the House, Heavens Above, The Rebel, The Cruel Sea, uh, and uh, the yet to be released um, at this point, Cash on Demand. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll count that as being released. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then there's one person making their eleventh appearance. Oh, that, it wasn't a <laughs> Which is Fred cast. Wood. So, Night to Remember, Heavens Above, From Wish You Were Love, Free Hats for Lisa, Man for All Seasons, Dad's Army, Amazing Mr. Blunden, Wicker Man, Time Bandits, and Wivnell and I. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> there's nobody with 17 appearances or anything. That's... So, because um, we didn't have Marianne Stone or. or no. Um, the Hickson in this. I, f- I feel like this Fred Wood is probably climbing up near the top. Then, right? Is he? He's uh, he's up near the top for the yeah for um with regards to um I think he's in the top three of the male appearances um in the the Hall of Fame. Does anybody is, know um, what he looks like? Or yeah, I'm just looking at a picture of him. He's a, <laughs> a, he's a bit Karloffy. I think he often plays like servants and you know coachmen and things like that. Oh, here we go. Right, yeah. Because have a look at his picture, Fred Wood. Who's that, Fred Wood? Oh, he's born in my neck of the woods. Rob arrived, died 2003. He was in, and now for something completely different, Kiss of the Vampire, things like that. Let's have a look. I believe he carried a coffin in, in this film. Oh, okay. Oh, I've got him. Yes, he's, he's I like... Believe that, I believe that's what he was doing. He was one of the pallbearers pole carrying bearer. the coffin into the <laughs> He end. does look like he'll be a pallbearer or, or a grave digger or, you yeah. know, someone like that. He's got that long face, he's that long gaunt gaun face. Very, yeah. Still don't recognise him from any movie, though. That's the thing, looking at him. <laughs> I'm it... picturing him in, like, a white servant's wig. So I know I've seen him in Summit. Your fantasies yeah. are amazing, aren't they? <laughs> um, Day of the Triffid, uh, Small World of Sammy Lee, Kiss of the Vampire, Mask of the Red Death. Uh, and, and again, with, with these wonderful bit part character actors, he's just playing Passerby, Man in Crowd. Uh, cultist Undertake, Undertaker there we go we knew he'd play an Undertaker somewhere yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Undertaker twice Paul Bearer oh my god yeah if you go through pub extra Paul Bearer pub, pub patron villager Puritan striking was that Twins of Evil uh, Twins of Evil yeah oh I called it I called it uh, a beggar in now for something completely different Doomwatch, the movie, was a villager. 
house and the yeah, crypt. Yeah, they're all a bit dodgy looking in that one. Yeah. yeah. Second mortician. He's definitely got that, that the look of death about him. That so that's yeah, typecast all the way through. He's, I yeah, imagine he's, he's in a few amicuses as well. Oh, I imagine. Probably will be. Yeah. I mean, he's as far as the village hall of fame. He's you know he's behind the, the top runners as far as the mills. I believe. Uh, uh, Guy Stamdeven and um, I think he's one to watch if we're doing these Hammer ones particularly. Yeah. I think he's one to watch. Yeah, nineteen eighty four connection. He was in the nineteen eighty four version of nineteen eighty four. Eighty four. Um, it's so meta. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just all cyclical. It all links somewhere around all of these. Oh. Yeah, who'd have thought we'd be thinking now nineteen eighty four, the good old days. Right? <laughs> <laughs> And he was in from Russia with love. Came under the gypsies. There you go. So he was—he's top of the tree for for today. Uh, as I say, he's, he's gaining on some of the others, like the, the top fellas that we've had appearance-wise. Uh, um, we've got joint top from Guy Standeven and Cyril Chamberlain um, at thirteen, uh, and below that there's at twelve there's Victor Harrington and. Um, Marianne. Fred Griffith. I was going to say, Marion um, Stone must be somewhere up there. Oh, for women, yeah. For women, there's, you know, um, she's up there. I think she's got 13 as well. Yeah. Um, I believe 12 or 13 as Marion Stone. So she's definitely, you know, up there claiming the title for the women. So, Excellent. and I, I think it is even pegging, yeah, Marion Stone's got 13 and, and obviously same as Cyril Chamberlain and Guy Stand even. So it's even pegging there, but. Um, she had an appearance last time while in one of the um, Quatermass, didn't she? So, oh, um, you. one of those ones she was in. So, um, we'll have to just see whether any of these make future appearances in the Hammers, but certainly overall for the uh, Village Hall of Fame, it is these people who you go, I don't even recognise them. No. <laughs> I mean, Cyril Chamberlain a bit more, but the rest mm. of them. Um, Absolutely. We. We're particular fans of Marianne Stone, so we yeah. Know, I always take I joy in spotting her. Now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can always see her. I can always also Victor Harrington. I always recognise because I had a great great uncle who looked a bit like him, so it makes it easy for me to sort of recognise him. Well, I, I've taken to when I accidentally happen upon Marianne Stone in some film on Talking Pictures TV, I take a photo and send it to Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's become you know, a bit of an obsession, hasn't it, mate? Unfortunately, yeah, it has yeah. become a thing for, for, for us. But bless her, apparently a really nice woman as well. But um, certainly one of the mainstays of British cinema, like the rest of them, it's surprising who who is the framework that the the careers of the likes of Cushing and um, Lee are built upon. That there's these people who are just the workhorses there, keeping it all going. So. Excellent. We were Good. talking of doing a Crypt of Fame specifically for the Hammer movies, weren't we, at one point? So, Yeah, my, it's, my I mean, we've got... Yeah, we've got James Bernard has, has had four well, appearances. We've, well, now. we've got... I mean, Lindsay Hooper, um, Philip Jones, Fred Johnson and Bartlett Mullins have all, were all in Quatermass. <laughs> so they, they've all got their second appearances as far as Hammer goes because right. they're all in... in in Quatermass, and then Jimmy Sangster, who um, was um, the writer here previously, uh, was involved in the script of X the Unknown. Oh. Um, and then, quite rightly, uh, you're saying that James Bernard is his fourth in a row, so. Um, <laughs> but, yes. um, and not the last, thankfully. No. Yeah, I mean. Thanks. There's going to be another one that's going to be top of the tree when we, you know, as we get yep. through more and more films. It's it's, it's Fisher. 
Sangster, Bernard, Cushing, Lee, and Ripper. Probably Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, he only, Sangster only needs one more to get his own coffin in the crypt. <laughs> or urn or whatever we're going to get award. Um, so, yes, he's, he's very much on the, the path. And obviously, Michael Ripper will be um, coming in again. Uh, bless him. Yes, he's a stalwart of the hammer. Um, probably did more. He probably, I suspect that um, Michael Ripper probably did more than either Christopher Lee or Cushing when you actually look at it, but we'll, we'll find out at some point. Final thoughts, guys, before we wrap this up. You know, we're saying it's the first of the, the classic hammers. It's the blueprint almost of what is to come and what we're familiar with or what people you know generally perceive as a hammer horror does it stand up i think it does it was a guy i really enjoyed watching this again last night Great i think absolutely mm. yeah it's got the elements where you're saying this is iconic this is the start of a, a you know a, a trope of of way of doing horror films and etc it was influential on other films it's got that foot in the the door as far as it being influential and being something that needs to be recognized and respected but it's just a joy to watch as well it's just it rattles along it doesn't it doesn't wait about no it gets on with what it's doing and there's there's rarely a, a scene that there's any lulling action going on there's you know there's something either being re- revealed in some dialogue as they sit sipping tea or, or there's um racing around in some woods trying to you know, or throwing somebody off a balcony or something <laughs> over. So um, it's a joy, to, you know, it's a pleasure to watch and a joy to watch, and as well as it having that iconic status, I would say. I I agree. This is a great film, and it captures everything about Hammer. And it's one of those films. I think in, in a lot of other places, this would have been a lightning in a bottle film, capturing all these elements, yep. putting them together, and like, but then a failure to reproduce it. But whereas Hammer didn't fail to reproduce it they just carried on distilling in a distilling it a little uh with each sort of movie um and was kind of nailing it uh though there are sort of sections in some of the films a few years after this where they go a bit too drawing room drama rather than horror there's a bit of that uh but they do pull it back and that's fine uh but this one is super punchy it's one of the great things about hammers is they're all pretty short and it works to their favour, you know, uh, and and so they stay punchy. And I have to say, people make fun of Jimmy Stanks's things, or certainly the actors do. But yeah. I think he's a pretty damn good scriptwriter, actually. Yeah, I think he, you know, considering he, oh, this feels almost like it was cut from new cloth. I know that he sort of based it on other things, but it's basically the same story told in a quite different way with a different emphasis. The character of Frankenstein is totally different from any other version we've yes, seen right? totally yeah. different and that is the hammer frankenstein and the one people think of mostly these days when they think of the character of victor frankenstein well, it's, I think so. it's, yeah. it's cushing's version right exactly it's like cushing will always be associated with that and van helsing, helsing those are the yeah. two aren't they do you think actually then in retrospect obviously at the time they won't probably wouldn't have felt it when they were pre-production but do you think this actually benefited from the fact that they had the restrictions imposed by not being able to do a, a straightforward retelling of the the universal version? They had yeah. to be more inventive and and yeah. take a different approach. Do you think they've then that's helped them hit upon a formula that restriction and it might not have 
maybe made such an impact if it was just the, the same story being retold. The selling point, if they'd have gone the way they wanted to go, would have been Boris Karloff, sort of semi-retired, yeah. you know, reprising his most famous role. But the plan was it was going to be in black and white, and it was going to be a pretty much, you know, remake of the Universal. Oh, that would not have been as good yeah. as this. So now, as no, you right. said, they've, yeah. they've had to be more creative. They've had to tweak it, and they've got the benefit of colour as well, yeah. which, with regard to the makeup of the Kensington Gore and the magnificent sets and everything that we spoke about earlier, just heightens it. You know, absolutely fantastic. Uh, I wonder if the cheaper cost of, of Christopher Lee versus what Boris Karloff would have wanted, whether that um, made the difference in them being able, having the budget for colour as opposed to black and white as well. But certainly, uh, I'm glad you... May have, yeah. You, you, I'm glad you, you, you know, you've seen that there's what I was thinking, which was that it had their need to find a different way of telling the story actually meant that they, they discovered something new in a new formula rather than it being just treading the same water, which wouldn't have wouldn't have given us the, the Hammer catalogue that we, we have to enjoy. Yeah, I think also it, it highlights the fact that they don't care about trying to stick to source material. They, they've got this idea of a story and they just go with whatever works for them. And I kind of appreciate that about Hammer. It doesn't try and replicate sort of certain things either films or the literature it's based on they kind of just go for their own thing uh the only one that i think is quite similar to possibly the source is possibly the mummy but even that is that similar but you know what it really works i like the fact that like people like jimmy sanks to just go with like some ideas and and knock it out of the park really i really appreciate it i just want to mention there is one film where they do reprise the universal thing very successfully that's young frankenstein mel brooks delivered a fantastic <laughs> pastiche stroke homage to that series as well as a fantastic comedy okay. so it it would have been possible but i don't think i think the way they went here was a way better path than what was proposed with Karloff exactly. involved. Exactly, it set the tone for the future productions. You saying about Young Frankenstein? They used the original set, didn't they? From Universal. yeah, it was a magnificent film. It's yeah. easily his best directed film. Yeah, but it's a great comedy too. But it it just properly evokes the spirit of Universal. In fact, when Sam and I on my podcast we covered Universal, we we included Young Frankenstein because it was so obviously appropriate. So uh, yeah, yeah, I can mm. see, I can see why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to finish by sort of confirming what you guys have just literally said in the last minute or two. The popularity of this movie. Now, as you said, guys, it's short, it's snappy, it's under 90 minutes. Perfect fare for a double bill. You know, that's what makes these appealing. You get, you know, the three of us all grew up watching the horror double bills on BBC Two. You know, we know how (laughs) this thing works. It actually grossed 70 times its production costs. That's a hell of a <laughs> callback, isn't it? That's amazing. So you can see why it they was wanted to It one of the most continue. successful British films for a while, wasn't it? Yeah. So, it, certainly. Yeah. I'm just reading. This is from a book I've got, which is called The Hammer Story by Marcus Hearn and Alan Barnes. And their concluding comments, The Curse of Frankenstein redefined the entire horror genre. I think we can agree with that. The performances of both Cushing and Lee, the first utterly cold and utterly convincing as the demented Baron, the second evoking both pity and fear in equal measure as the hopeless creature aspire to and reach a depth of feeling previously unrealised in the cinema of the strange. A phenomenon in its own right, the curse of Frankenstein breathed life into another hammer horror. Mm. I think that sums it up perfectly, guys. That's what we've been trying to say for the last 50 minutes or so, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Just all the tropes are there. It, you know, it, it's reminiscent of Dr. No versus um, um, From Russia With Love, where most of the tropes were there, but it wasn't quite formed. But yeah. I think in Curse of Frankenstein, they were well formed already. There wasn't really much to build on. Refined, perhaps, but not not alter too much uh, and it worked well you, you you're right i mean we've we've discussed with the other film series that we've been dipping into uh, in this podcast where whether it's normal wisdom carry on or james bond that there's the formulas develop over a series of films and there's maybe a, a second or third film in the series where they deviate slightly and, and then come back because they realize that they've that was a misstep to try and drop an element whereas I think you're absolutely right with what you say. They, they, they hit it bang on straight away with this, and then they don't really, you know, it takes them a while before they try to deviate from it because they do get it right first time with this. I mean, if you're not including Quatermass, this this being the first horror horror rather than the sci-fi horror, this is, you know, the, the bang on getting yeah. it right first time, which is different to the others where Dr. No, there, there was some elements there, but then some elements weren't yet there. We've discussed previously and... And it's there. interesting, in my opinion, they kind of, apart from building on the elements of the next few films, but the same elements and being very successful after that, they turn deviate a little uh, in terms of trying to up the drama side. It doesn't work. And then yeah. finally they go to oh, go up the blood and the sex and violence. And that <laughs> does, did just... work for them for some time. Right, yeah. That did work for them for some time. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting, the, the sort of course of Hammer movies. It goes up, goes up in gore at a certain point in, in Hammer, uh, a decade or so later, it goes up in gore and, and down with the cleavages. Um, <laughs> so. Indeed. What I'm going to suggest, guys, let's take a break because surprisingly the next movie in the sequence not necessarily takes a step back but doesn't capitalise on what we've just been speaking about. Intrigued? Let's take a break. We'll be back after this. Okay, guys, now, Curse of Frankenstein was released on the 2nd of May, 1957. Now, all you Hammer Horror fans out there will be going, well, it's Dracula Next, surely, which was released on the 22nd of May, 1958. But in between those two movies, 26th of August, 1957, was another Peter Cushing vehicle. And we have had a bit of a discussion off air. We think it's only right that we include this rather than leap straight into the into the version of Dracula. Guys, are we happy to cover the Abominable Snowman from 1958? Sorry, 1957. 
Yeah, yeah, very happy to. I've not, never seen it as well, <laughs> and I should have. It's the sh- I'm shocked at myself, frankly. Stephen, have you seen it? Because it doesn't get shown. I think Talking Pictures TV might actually have the rights to this now. But I remember this was one of the very first ones I saw as, as a double bill or a late night Saturday, this one. I think I've seen it once. Okay. And I don't have any strong recollection of it, but for some reason I do think I've seen it, even though I don't have a clear memory of it. But it's certainly not one that I've seen more than once. It's it's one that's not frequently shown and not one I've I've stumbled across um, in the same way I have with, with the others. So it, I think it will be a, a, a pleasure to revisit it and see what, whether it sparks anything in my memory, but also because, you know, it's always a joy to then discuss it with you two. Oh, crawler. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I have I've got a bit of a slant on this. I think I've seen a bit of it, right? But get this, this was back when Super 8 was a thing, right? Oh, right okay. <laughs> I used to have a Super 8 projector and you could rent movies and, and shorts yeah. and things from the shop. Yeah. And I got a feeling that I rented like a two reel version oh. of the movie <laughs> and I don't even remember if it had sound. It might have been a silent version because they're cheaper to rent. Um, so I've got some memories of it, but I only remember, I don't remember Peter, seeing Peter Cushing in it at all. Yeah. So I don't know if I was like just seeing the action highlights or something. Yeah. But honestly, I've, otherwise I've never seen it, well, seen it at all. I don't know any, what the story is or anything other than they're looking for a, the abominable, so abominable that's, snowman. That's the story. And with the reappearance of Peter Cushing, we're also going to welcome back Val Guest as the director. Nigel Neal is credited with the screenplay on this, based mm. on an original story, but he gets credited with the screenplay. And one of my favourite actors, and I'm sure he's in the Hall of Fame, uh, Richard Wattis is in this yeah. as well, who I absolutely adore. So, uh, Forrest Tucker we mentioned off air as well. What, what was you saying about Forrest Tucker? Mark. I recently covered him, covered a piece of work by him in my own podcast series, Anthologic, where it was in a night gallery episode called uh, Dr. Stringfellow's Rejuvenator. And he put in a great turn, uh. I think, because he, he's mostly associated with F Troop and comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but now in night gallery, he put in a great turn. He was a good actor. So I es- expect he. He'll, pl- you know, he'll be worth watching in this. Yeah, it'll be a dramatic role for him in this one. So. Yeah, yeah, and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing seeing it because of that as well. We were talking about double bills earlier. I've just noticed. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this at length. This has the most bizarre pairing as a double bill when it was released in the US. Are you guys aware of an actress called Mamie Van Doren? Yes, the mm. Cat Price Jane Mansfield. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, the Jane Mansfield yeah. ripoff. This was double billed. With the Mamie Van Doren film Untamed Youth. <laughs> what a weird. <laughs> Perhaps we ought to watch both of them <laughs> just to sort of recreate that whole experience, guys, and talk about it next Now, time. if you want plunging cleavages, that's the one to. That's a completely yeah. different set of bingo yeah. cards, isn't it? Would we have to recreate it on Super 8 in, in silent mode? <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna seek out a copy of Untamed Youth as well, guys, just to make it really authentic. And, and I've got a feeling when she made that film, she wasn't that young. I don't are. think she I was. Could be wrong, but... <laughs> no, sort of like the Mae West sort of, you know, the, the rejuvenation. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. First one of the new year for us, but as I say, this is probably going out a bit later in the year, springtime, hopefully. Looking forward to the Abominable Snowman. Looking forward to carrying on 
you know, getting into the gothic hammers as, as we are now. Mark, before you disappear, can you just remind the guys, you mentioned Anthologic. What else have you got out there for the listeners? Oh, uh, basically, I'm running my own podcast, The Good, The Bad and The Odd, which I usually, uh, it has uh, my co-host is Sam, my oldest son. We've been doing it over 10 years now. Can you believe it? Yes. We're like senior podcast. Yes. Uh, not royalty, but certainly uh, gentry or yes. aristocracy or That's something. It. The old statesman. Um, and yeah. uh, and I've I'm involved in several, but probably the most notable one, other than the main one, is I run a podcast about TV anthology shows, which Scott's been on. Have you? I about have. Um, that was unexpected. Wasn't as, it? Uh, when we did talk about doing season one, time, uh, we just haven't. We'll get uh, that, <laughs> mate. We'll get that. Um, but that is a fascinating one because I feel like I'm properly curating that piece <laughs> of TV history now because I just keep uncovering things. I can't believe there were that many out there. I mean, most people know of The Outer Limits, which is just being screened on Talking Pictures TV now. It or, is. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah. Being on, it's on. Yes, or some great Tw- ones. Twilight Zone or Tales of the Unexpected. You know, I think there was, you know, The Night Stalker, whatever, you know, five or six you could probably rattle off most people. But you're fine. I'm, I'm in the hunt over. Uh, triple figures now in terms of shows I've found that are and it's horror sci-fi and and the best mystery ones not all the mystery ones because that would be a whole thing in itself but man I'm yeah and the thing is new ones keep coming out Uh, (laughs) I think I've had like eight or nine new ones since I started the show uh, have, have been on, you know, reboots of Twilight Zone, you, yeah, and some really like creep wonderful been, Netflix yeah. ones and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'll say you, you included things like Creep Shows been rebooted and tell some of the. Yeah, I haven't even like got that. to that. Yeah, yeah. it's things like that. Wow, yeah. never ending, never ending. Yeah. You'll be with us for another uh, And I also do a, a Stephen King chronologically ordered one, which I call Kingology, but they are all on the main. The good, but the bad, and the odd feed. So if you subscribe to that feed, you'll get them all. But there are separate feeds for Kingology Excellent. and Anthologic too. Excellent. If you prefer just those, well worth a listen. Stephen, we can't find you nowhere else but here, mate. Can we? At the end of the day, to be honest, <laughs> nowhere else would have me. No one else would um, <laughs> Yeah, I haven't got a life, you see. So it's fine. <laughs> You don't want to plug well, uh, anything, mate, do you? We could you? fill a podcast with discussion about whether I've got a life or not, so we'll, uh, we'll avoid that topic. No, I'm very happy uh, to be putting my um, podcasting um, into Real Britannia. Um, and this is a, a, a joy. And um, obviously people, both audience members, hopefully, both of um, them, yeah. will, will, will hear me again uh, next time round. It's an absolute pleasure having the, the three of us together. I'm really enjoying the Hammer stuff. So looking forward to getting back with you, Stephen, in a couple of weeks and all three of us in about a month or two's time. So take care, guys. <laughs> See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> take care. Positive shower. Good luck. Thank you.
keeping the British hand up, sir. I'm sick of pains. <laughs>